and I'm going to do something that I don't do all of the time, but uh, I'm going to do it today. And that is that I'm going to um, I'm going to use this text and not um, spend the rest of my time trying to explain it. I'm going to say some things about it, but I'm going to. Um, take more of a global view of scripture today. I know that next um, next week we have Friends Day and we're excited about Friends Day. We're uh, know, knowing that well, I, I'm trusting that the Lord in the Lord that we're going to have a number of visiting friends in our church next week. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. We want to welcome all of our visiting friends that are here this morning. Let's give them a hand raise. Amen. We're grateful to the Lord for their being here. Welcome. We hope you feel good in our church today on this rainy, well, it's not rainy, but it's a cold Sunday. And, uh, you know, they say it never rains in California, but this year it's it's rained pretty good. And thank God that we're, it seems like we're going outside of the uh, the drought that we've been in. And God's just been good to us. You're as bad as Californians behave sometimes, God's still good to us, you know. <laughs> I know he's not making it rain because of our politics. Our politics are terrible, but, but God is still good nonetheless. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, um, next week is Friends Day, so we want to make sure that everyone on this has been told to you, but I want to... Make sure that we make a special emphasis and that everybody in the church makes a special effort to be here next uh, next Sunday and bring your friends. Everybody brings somebody. What do you guys think? Is that all right? Everybody brings somebody. And we're just going to make an effort to, to fill the house of the Lord. And uh, hopefully it'll be a little bit warmer than it is this Sunday. We have Friends Day for Spanish service. And... Uh, the, uh, the weather's kind of complicating things for us a little bit, but we're expecting that we're going to have a great time and that a lot of people are going to come to know Jesus Christ in our Spanish service. And so you all pray for us so that God will bless us. Amen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Grateful to have uh, Brother Philip and his wife, Sister Melanie here, and my grandchildren. Amen. <laughs> Let's all stand, shall we? Now, I'm going to, my message is really simple today. They usually are, but I'm going to take more of a panoramic view, and I'm going to try to make a major point, all right? And I'm going to try to give you some lenses through which to look, through which to understand the scriptures, the whole story of the Bible. So my, my although we're going to read a text right now, and I'll say a couple of things about it, the point is a bigger point. The point is this, that, that, um, it has to do with the theme of the entire Bible. So we're going to start with Genesis and we're going to end in Revelations. As it is, I'm a long-winded preacher. Y'all pray for the sermon today. <laughs> that uh, we're going to end up in Revelation somewhere. And we're going to try to give you some lenses through which to understand the scriptures. And uh, what I'm going to entitle the message today, if I could add a, give a title to it, is God's mission never changes. The mission of God never changes. So let's let's read. For by him all things were created in heaven on, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now read this part with me. 
all things were created through him and for him. So let's read it again. All things were created by him and for him. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. We pray that we would be able uh, today to communicate the thought that you put in my heart for your people today and pray that your name would be glorified in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says amen. I turn to somebody and greet them before you sit down and tell them it's really good to have you in service today. And take a couple of minutes and just get out of your bench and find five or six people and give them a warm welcome to the church this morning. seated. All right, so today the, the message for this morning is simply, and if you get that, you know, you'll, you'll pretty much understand what I'm going to talk about today. The mission of God never changes. It's always been the same since the very beginning. There, there is, a, uh, uh, um, there is a, a danger of living our lives as Christians out of context. That God wants to accomplish one thing. He wants us to live in a certain context, live our lives a certain way. And there is, for every Christian, this is generally for every one of us as believers in Christ. And there is a danger that we as believers live our lives out of the context of what God's will and desire for our lives is. Now, it's been raining in California this whole winter, and it's been really great to have it rain. But, and, and it's because it's, it's becoming more and more unusual, right? In fact, we even sing about, uh, or they used to sing about back in my day, about that it, I think it was Carol King. I'm not sure if it was her or not, but when I was lost in the world, right? I used to listen to those songs and <laughs> so I had to make that clarification. Uh, <laughs> when I was lost, Carol King, I think it was, maybe it wasn't her, I don't remember, but it was the song, It Never Rains, no, it wasn't Carol King. It Never Rains in California. It was another group. The Beach Boys, look at that, Brother David knows, knows, knows the songs, right? Y'all pray for Pastor Dave. Yeah. He, he also heard these songs when he was in the world, right? Not, not in church, of course. <laughs> it had to be a minister, right? Um, the Beach Boys. And, uh, but the reality is that, it, well, I mean, thank God for this year. It's been a good year. It's been raining. Um, I remember back in, in a couple of years ago, I was watching the news, and um, and uh, I was, it, it rained maybe for a day or so. It hadn't rained that much. It was kind of raining. And uh, it was a big deal, you know, because rain, rain, rain is becoming less and less frequent, it seems like. Here in, in California, we live in a desert area, more or less. And um, I remember that there was a reporter that had gone to some little section of town and found the biggest puddle, I suppose, that she could find. And she was, uh, you know, during her reporting, there was, it was raining lightly. And she was saying, yeah, we've got major flooding here in section so-and-so, whatever. And she took a little, a little puddle, what we call a charco in Spanish, right? And she made it up into this, this big story because I guess she, wanted to, she didn't want to be given this little small story about it's raining lightly. And so she took something that was small, a small little 
Well, it wasn't a small puddle. I mean, it was looked like it was kind of flooding, but it wasn't like a major uh, uh, rain. And she made it into a major story. In fact, I remember on another occasion, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, the reporter was interviewing a fireman, I think it was, and she was making a big deal about what had happened. It may have been an earthquake, and she's interviewing him and, and about all the damages that have done. And of course, she's next to an apartment that had a couple of cracks in it. And, and the fireman said, well, you know, it's really not that big a deal, and people really aren't in that big of a danger. And, uh, but, you know, so we shouldn't exaggerate it. But she would just keep going. She would say, yeah, it's just terrible what's going on here, and this is a major disaster. And she was just making a big old deal out of it. Uh, you, can, you can justify almost anything if you're willing to, to take something out of context. If you take something that's small or something, maybe just a snippet, a quote, you take something and you, and you move it outside of its context of what was being said or what was really happening, and you can almost make, make anything out of, um, out, of, um, out of a little story or something that's totally taken out of, out of its place. And I think that's true for our Christian lives. I think it's, it's, it's possible for us as believers to live lives where we feel satisfied, we feel like we're doing it, we're getting it done, we're living it right. And, and the reality is that because we're kind of out of the context that God wants us to be found in, or we're living in a way uh, outside of what, what, what God would, would, would prefer for us, that, um, that uh, we're not quite doing it right, but but we feel satisfied and we feel like we're doing a good job and we're being good Christians. In fact, I think that, that that's a problem that, that is rampant in Christianity and maybe has been for, for a long time. May not be new to our time and culture, but it certainly is true for cultures that are, that are prosperous, like our culture is very, very prosperous. We live, I don't know if it's the most prosperous nation, but we certainly live in the most prosperous nation in all the history of mankind, you know, and uh, there may be other countries that are richer than us, but there are no, but we are, if not the uh, most prosperous country in the entire history of mankind, uh, we, we are um, at the very, very top of it. We're a blessed nation. And it's, it's not difficult for us in that, in that context of prosperity to make up a, a kind of Christianity that suits our needs and that, and that, um, that makes us feel good and that makes us feel like we're, we're doing things the right way. And, and we may, may, may have it right in certain areas of our lives and be doing things that God wants us to do and even that the scripture calls us out to do. But the context, but in terms of everything that God desires for us to do or the primary things that he wants us to be involved in or to be doing, we're, we're, not, we're not hitting it with all cylinders. Kind of missing it. Because it's not difficult for us to take a snippet of our lives, a part of our lives, and say, this is what God wants. Kind of not the totality of who we are and how we're living our lives and what the decisions that we're making and, and how we're, we're doing things. We just take out a snippet of it, a little quote of our lives. We take out a, a small narrative and we say, I'm doing it right. And I think that, I think that, that um, 
that uh, that sometimes that's that's it's like this self-deception, right? It's like God saying, "Wait, wait, I've got, I've got I've got this whole this whole thing that's called the Christian life that's to be to be lived out this way. I've got." This life that's called the life of faith that is supposed to be lived out this way. I've got this whole thing that's called the will of God that we're all supposed to live inside of. And that sometimes, um, although we're doing good things, some good things, um, we're not living in that context. And so I think that what we have to do, at least what the, the, the focus of the message today is this, that we have to live within the mission the context of God's mission for mankind. The question is, what does God want for us? And although I'm not going to spend the message um, um, uh, talking about every possible thing that God could want for us, I am going to talk about his mission. What's God been up to for whatever number thousands of years mankind has been on the face of the, of the earth? And I want to challenge the church, every one of us, to see ourselves as, as, um, as people that should, should uh, judge ourselves and see ourselves and analyze our lives and say, okay, am I, am, I, am I doing what God wants me to do and am I living my life as God desires for me to live it? And uh, not just in certain areas of our lives. That's, not, that's too easy, but the totality of my life. Everything that is that my life is about, and so let me start with this point. I'll start with Genesis one twenty-seven, and we've talked about this in the past. Genesis one twenty-seven says this: So God created man in His own image, in the image of God created He him. Male and female created He them. So God created mankind, uh, put His image on mankind, and we talked about that maybe about a month and a half, two months ago what that means to a certain extent. But let, let me just go over a couple of those things. What does it mean that, that we are bearers of the image of God? Well, the first thing that I think that it means, perhaps the most important thing, is that we were created, every one of us, for God's glory, not for our glory. We were created for the purposes of God, not for our own purposes. We were created for God's fulfillment, not for our fulfillment. That's, that's, um, that's an important statement, right? Because if we, if we get that right, and that's, that's, a, that's not a small statement, that's a huge statement. It means that everything about your life, your, your, your person, your family, your work, and just, you know, the uh, concentric circle just keep going out from there, everything about your life was meant to be lived for the glory of God. Glory of God. In other words, God has got this, this big picture uh, that, he is, that, he, that he sees your life as fitting within this, this big picture. It's not just about our, our, our relationship with God in church or, or with our brothers or with our brothers. It's the totality of your life. It's when you're sitting um, at a uh, restaurant with your friends. It's when you're... You're alone at home watching TV. It's when you're at work relating with your, your, your associates or you're at school hanging out with the guys or with the girls. Everything is included in that statement. 
God designed us and created us to live for his glory. Say amen. amen. So the job that I have, the friends that I have, the, everything, the, 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 the money that God's given me, everything, all of it has been given to me. And I'm to use all of that for the glory of God. That's an important statement. So, so when, we, when we live for God's glory, we're living for God's glory, we're living the maximum life. And if that means in this life that you live an impoverished life, because you were, I mean, talking about money, because you chose God's ways, then you're living your best life now. And if it means that during this life, you know, um, you don't uh, get to enjoy all of the best things that the world can offer you as far as career and self-fulfillment and all of those kinds of things that the world says are the best. Then for the glory of God, to live for the glory of God, then when you set those things aside and you choose to live for the glory of God, you have chosen your best life. Because every one of us have been called before anything else as Christians to live for the glory of God. And that's why God made us in his image. He made us in his image so that when we made choices, the choices that we make would glorify him. He made us in his image so that when we chose, for example, who to marry, he would be glorified. How many children to have, he would be glorified. How to bring up our children, he would be glorified. What career to choose, and everything else. When God chose us, he chose us to live for his, for his glory. To choose righteousness. To live lives of holiness. Holiness is not a problem of the church. It's a problem. It's not a problem. It is a priority of God. Holiness is not an issue that the church has. The apostolic assembly or any other church has. It's the call of God to every one of us that have believed in him. It's the choice that the righteous make. It is the message of the cross and everything that the cross gives us freely that we cannot produce in and of ourselves. Righteousness and holiness. And so when God grants us salvation, our life, our whole life, everything about it is meant to be lived out for his glory. Second to that, I would say this, that being created in God's glory is is, means that our lives are purposeful. We have, we have purposeful lives. Uh, we weren't um, created coincidentally. We're not the result of, of, um, of um, natural processes like evolution and all that nonsense that they teach in, uh, in colleges and universities. We, we were created by God fundamentally. I don't care what processes God used. I know that he used his word. I do know this, that that at the end of the day, when you get to the very, very beginning, when there is no life and there is nothing in existence, a millisecond before what scientists say is the Big Bang Theory, there was God. And what God used was his word just to bring everything in an instant into existence. And so Paul says this, for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or rules or authority, all things were created by him and for him. God created everything for his glory and for his honor. 
didn't just create them. Think about that. If God created you, then the purpose for which he created us was for himself. Oh, you know, it's so funny that in a, in, a, in a prosperous nation like our nation, the most prosperous nation in the whole world, it's easy even for Christians to say, for all things were created by him for us. That's the message of all the prosperity preachers. That's a message of Joel Osteen and, and of all these other preachers that are saying it's about us. Live your best life now. And um, I'm not saying that Joel Osteen doesn't preach good. He, he's an inspiring guy. You know, he's got a lot of false doctrine. But, but, um, but uh, I mean, not, not just the truth, right? We were not created for us. This life is not supposed to bring primarily fulfillment to us. It's supposed to bring fulfillment to the life and the heart of God. So that when a doctor, and it's happened throughout church history, young man goes through university and gets a medical degree, and then God calls him to be a missionary, and instead of choosing the wealth and the fame and the good and everything that this life can give him because of his dedicated effort and his intelligence and, 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 and his dedication to his field, God chooses him to go to some foreign land to serve as a missionary doctor, and he sets aside all of the glories that the world can give him in all of the difficulties and trials and tribulations and maybe poverty that he will face and have to deal with. He's living his best life because he's living in the center of God's will, living his life for the glory of God. Say amen. See, every one of us at some point or another are going to have to make choices whether Living our best life now, having something better right now, that promotion right now, that that print, that that handsomer guy right now, that that career-oriented woman right now, having something better right now, or saying, wait a minute, that's not what God wants for me. What I'm gonna choose is not all that. I'm gonna choose to follow Jesus better. And um, and so we we understand that those choices make sense because God has assigned purpose to our lives. Our lives are purposeful. Say amen. amen. And, so, and so every act, listen guys, worship is not what we did just a few moments ago. It's, that's praising, right? We praise the Lord when we gather together and we sing songs and we feel the presence of God and all that. But worship is, is it's much more than that. It's your... It, 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 is, it is the quality of the totality of your life. It is who you are. It is how you treat people. It is the decisions that we make every day in our lives. It is founded on this understanding. You were created by him and for him. Your life was given to you so that throughout your entire life you would give glory to God. And people would look at you as a person that is dedicated to bringing honor to the God that you serve and that I serve. And so, and so that's, that means that, that, that my whole life, if I live it right, in all that it encompasses, is an act, a single act of worship to God. It is offering the Lord the, what is called the highest glory that God can receive when every facet of your life has been lived to that end. And that's, listen guys, 
When we see something that's genuinely lived out like that, like the life of Jesus in perfection, we think, wow, what a life. When we look at another man that lived out his life the best he could, not perfectly, but the best that he could that way, we look at the Apostle Paul and we say, what a life. Anytime you think about any Christian that you admire in the Christian faith, and you know what will characterize them? Their, dis- their driving desire to live a life that is fully dedicated to the glory of God. They're wanting people to know Jesus. They're wanting people to exalt the name of our great God. God's mission never changes. So you know what God did? It's interesting because God put the image of God upon Adam and Eve. And then here's what he told them in verse 28. If you'll read it with me. It says, and God blessed them and said to them, read it with me, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So God said this, he made Adam and Eve to live for the glory of God. That's, that's what they were supposed to do. And before they sinned, before they sinned, he said, I want you guys to have a bunch of children. That's what fruitful means. And I know there's a lot of violators of that commandment in this place, but... Some of you, because you haven't been married, and that's all right. And others of you, because you've got, you've got plans, right? But he said, be fruitful and, and, and multiply. Everyone say multiply. And replenish the earth. This is a good message this morning. Amen. I'll leave it right there. Just say, you know why God did that? You know why God did that? Because he wanted the earth to be filled with his image bearers. See, there's something about our, our worship to God that is different from the way that animate and inanimate objects worship the Lord. The nature moves by instinct and, and its functionality and its, its, um, its, its just the life that it has and the, the capacities, the strength and that we see and the order that we see in nature, all of that studied just gives glory to God. All the heavens have to do is just be there. All the stars have to do is just shine. All the sun has to do is just just shine in its splendor. And that, without a word, without any more action than that, without any sense of consciousness, magnifies the Creator. In that it shows us its order, his order, and it shows us his strength, and it shows us his majesty, and it shows us its beauty. Just the whistling of the sun, of the, of the wind through the trees, or the, or the panorama that's before us when we beheld, behold the oceans, or whatever beautiful scene it is that God has created in the world. We stand back for a second and say, man, this is awesome. And this is the result of our God. And as, as the mountains just stand there, century after century, they testify to the power, omnipotent power of the God that created them. Hey, I want to tell you that nature praises the Lord. That nature gives glory to the God that we serve. But there's something unique about man in that and different, and it has to do with the image. We have been given the ability to consciously 
respond to everything that God created and, and to Him primarily. We have been given the ability to use our minds and our, our, our consciousness and say, the Lord is a great God. We look at creation and everything that God has done and the mercies that God has shown every one of us and the instinct that comes from our heart ought to be a praise given to God because He is awesome in mercy and love and greatness and in power. This is the God that we served. And so God didn't just want mountains and rocks and animals and, and sheep and, and fowl of the air and, and, and fish in the ocean. Didn't just want creation in that regard to worship Him. When He created Adam and Eve, He said, Adam... And Eve, I want you to be fruitful and to multiply. And I want you to fill the earth. There is a dimension of worship and praise that creation cannot give him. That pertains only to those of us that have been given a soul and a spirit with which to worship and exalt the name of our great God. And so, the Bible says, you're to do this. You live for him. You were created by him, you live for him. And so God's got a plan, doesn't he? His plan is he's going to fill the entire world with worshipers. With people that look at everything that God does and say, man, he's awesome. Hey, listen, folks. We're a part of those that have been chosen by God to be worshipers of the only true and living God. That's us. So we've been doing this morning. That's what we did this entire week. That's what our lives are about. And so what happens? Well, of course, you guys all know the story. I told you I'm going to go through the whole Bible today. Adam sins, and, um, and then instead of focusing on God, they're focusing on who? On themselves. And now it's about not just a relationship with God. It's about blaming his wife and his wife blaming him. And all kinds of chaos comes into the world. And um, then eight chapters after the fall, just eight chapters after the fall, we have God destroying the entire world and starting all over again. And you know what we find there in the great flood? We find the mercies of God. We find God saying, you know, it's going to be complicated, but I'm not going to be thwarted in my plans to have the world be filled with worshipers that will give glory and honor to my name. It is God in his great mercy saying, I will not give up on mankind. I will not withdraw my grace and my favor from those that have the potential for exalting my name above every other part of creation. And so... God chooses eight souls, Noah and his family, puts them in an ark, and then after a hundred and so days of rain, after some time, lands them again upon dry ground. And God is gracious. He is set on that he's going to have a community of worshipers and praisers, Community of people that will live for his glory and live for his honor. Is that not what the Bible says? That God made man in his own image and after his own likeness. God created man so that 
The world would be filled, according to verse 28, with those worshipers of God. Those people that were created in the image of God, that were to give the glory to God. And, and it's just, just a couple of chapters later that we've got the world being destroyed and God starting all over again because God doesn't give up on his purposes. Listen, whatever God said he's going to do, he's going to do it. Come on, somebody needs to say amen to that because there's some people here today that might be frustrated thinking I just don't know what God's doing or how this is going to end up or if God's going to accomplish the promise that he gave me or the word that he's spoken to my life or what the scripture says about me. But I want to tell you that God is a promise keeper. And it doesn't matter if you're the problem, he'll fix you up. If it's someone around you that's a problem, he'll change that circumstance around your life. But I'll tell you what God is not going to do. He's not going to frustrate his purposes. He is going to accomplish his will in our lives. That's the kind of a God that we serve. And I don't know, your family might look as lost as they have ever been. You might be as confused as you've ever been. You may not know which direction ahead. But I want, to know that God, I want you to know that God's plans are perfect. And that God has very, very much clarity regarding how your life is going to end up. He's got a purpose for us. Somebody give him praise. He wants a... So God bless... Noah after the flood, 9-1, blessed Noah after the flood, and he tells Noah, then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and multiply, 9-1, and fill the earth. There he is on that again. So, tells Adam and Eve, hey, listen, guys, be fruitful and multiply and flesh the earth. Then he destroys the world because it got so bad. And then here's Noah and his wife and his Come on, somebody say amen. God wants the, the world to be filled with worshipers. Amen. That's, see, God's mission doesn't change. God's got the same mission at the very beginning that he's going to have at the very end. Now, you know what men did after Genesis chapter 9, just two chapters later? The Bible says this, chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. We're still in the book of Genesis now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain of Sinar and settled there. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So you know what? Listen, listen. I'm going to cut this message short because It's going to reach into the very heavens. And on the top of those zoogarats, 
heavens. And so God said this. Listen, listen how rebellious we are. God said, I want you guys to go around the whole world. I want you to fill them with image, with image bearers that give glory to God. And man said, no, nah, I don't think so. You know what, guys? Let's all gather together here. Let's build ourselves in grass. And let's build a great city. And let's huddle together. Let's have a good time of fellowship. worship God our own way. We're going to not focus on what God has commanded us to do, but we're going to focus on what we feel we ought to do that is better. Sin caused men to focus on themselves, and, and that's what happens exactly here. So what does God do? Well, let, let me just go through this quickly. So God created nations. You know why God created nations? Because he's merciful. He created nations because he's not going to be deterred from his purpose. That everywhere in the world, he is going to have worshipers. He is going to have people that are living for his glory. He is going to have image bearers that are going to magnify his name throughout the entire world. Their failure to, to spread throughout the, uh, the entire world and to huddle together. Their determination not to do God's will. And fill the earth with his glory was a rebellion to God's command. But here's what God did. God says, let us go down and confuse their language so that they not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. And they stopped building the city. And so, look guys. God wants believers everywhere. Let me say it right now. Say it again. God wants believers everywhere. He does not want us huddling. You say, well, Pastor, should we not come to church on Sunday? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God wants believers everywhere. And if all we're doing is huddling, we're missing it. We're living righteous lives. We're doing what God has called us to do. We're trying to be obedient to God. We're rearing up godly children. We're trying to do God's purpose and God's will in our life. But we're huddling. And God won't take huddling for very long. Our huddling will turn against us. Our huddling will begin to consume us. Because a church that is not on mission is a church that's headed for trouble. Listen, listen, listen.
mission. You say, well, pastor, what's the mission? The mission is to glorify God. The mission is to have worshipers of the Lord throughout the entire world. The mission is that Compton, since this church has been here, God, this is the oldest church in the Apostolic Assembly, one of the oldest churches, congregations in the Apostolic Assembly, founded in 1914, if I believe it, if I'm not mistaken, the founder of the Apostolic Assembly, one of our founding presidents, Llorente, what was his first name? Francisco Llorente was the pastor of Watch Church here. That's where we come from, Watch Church. And, um, and, so, and so God is saying, and I'll tell you one of the things this church has done throughout its history is it's been a, a sending church, sending men out, sending missionaries, sending evangelists. Multitudes, not multitudes, many churches have come from this church of Compton. That's been righteous and right. Because I'll tell you what God does not want, guys. He doesn't want us just to huddle. If all we're doing is huddling, we're missing it. We're missing it. Because God said, I want you to, hey, listen to me now. I want you to, I want you to multiply. And I want you to replenish the earth. Oh, somebody give them praise right now. I want you everywhere. There's no question about that the Old Testament has a missional theme. And so God created nations. And, and they confused their language so that they spread. That was what happened. They spread. Now, I could tell you guys about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I could tell you about the sons of the faith or the father of faith and the sons of the faith. And here's what God says to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you and I will bless you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He's on the same subject. Don't huddle, walk out. Don't huddle, get on the mission. Don't huddle, get out there and, and, and find other people and, and communicate the grace of God to other people so that my name will be glorified in the entire world. And um, let me end by going to Acts chapter 2, chapter 1. Well, let me, let me bring to your taught, through your minds, the book of Acts chapter 2. And here's what the Bible teaches us. To the disciples, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. I need you to go to Jerusalem, and I need you to huddle in Jerusalem. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you be filled with power from on high. Now, why would Jesus tell them in, in Luke chapter 24, if I'm not mistaken, go to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, and don't leave Jerusalem until you've been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because with the gospel message and the commission to go and to preach, the instinct was this. Let's head out, guys. Let's let everyone know about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You gather together in Jerusalem and you wait in Jerusalem until you receive the power of the Holy Ghost. And then to the world. But what does the church do? The church do what we always tend to do by nature. 
we huddle. And so the church in Jerusalem has Pentecost and then begins to grow. They meet in homes and they meet in the temple and they grow. The priests are beginning to be converted to the gospel and they're growing. They're reaching their friends or their neighbors and they're growing. But it's just a big huddle, a small huddle. Then it's a growing huddle, but it's a huddle. And Samaria still is lost. And under the, the influence of Simon the sorcerer. And the Gentiles are still in their idolatry and in their immorality. They're lost. But the church is huddled in Jerusalem. It's doing what we always do when things are good. We huddle. And so God raises up a Saul. Sauls are so important. Because what Saul does in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Acts is that he comes in and he begins this terrible persecution of the church. And he's literally dragging brothers and sisters out of their homes and taking them to prison. That's horrific. What's God? Why is God allowing a young, zealous man to do this to his church? Because there's something of greater value than harmony. And building up our own selves in the faith. And reaching our own community. It's the world. God has made up his mind. And he does it from the book of Genesis. All the way through the book of Revelations. That he's going to have worshipers throughout the entire world. And we're a part of that plan. And so when the church huddles in the book of Acts. Chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. It's huddled. You know what happens? The widows begin to complain. Because it's I don't care who won. The Chiefs won. Brother Ray's team lost. Let me just put it that way. All right. The Chiefs won. You know what they do? You guys ever seen a football game? I don't like sports. I mean, I can see sports, but I don't like sports. And not much. But you know what? I, I know what football teams do because I was in the marching band in, in, in high school, right? And the marching band's the best. And so... I know we're kind of nerdy, but we're still good, you know. And so, and so I, remember, I remember that going to the games, and, and, and they would kick the ball off, and the receiving team would receive the ball, and they'd run, and they'd get tackled. And then it's time to play. You know what they did? They huddled. Every football game is filled with huddle after huddle after huddle after huddle. And that's awesome because we need huddle. We need hearts to be empowered. We need hearts to receive the word of God. We need hearts to receive motivation. We need hearts to be commissioned to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what a football team? They huddle. But when they huddle, they don't say, Orale, how you doing, man? I'm doing real good. How you doing? Well, I'm doing great. How's your family? Doing good. Your cell group? Oh, we're doing fine. Church? Good service. Good worship. The service? All right. Hey, listen, don't lose me, don't lose me, don't lose me. Every huddle has a purpose. 
meetings ought to be about. They're not about, hey, we've got a huddle to attend every Sunday. The huddle is a key part of the mission. The huddle is so that we will receive motivation to go to the world and speak to the world about the love of Christ and find worshipers of the Lord. I'm sure that any football coach that wants a guy that, that, that has a guy that joins the huddle just to hug the other guys is, is not going to be there very long. Right? Not going to be there very long. The coach is going to say, what, what Salazar doing? Well, he's a hugger. He's, he's a huddler. He said, we don't need no huddlers in this, in this football team. Get him out. Sit him on the bench. That's exactly what he, I, I know God doesn't do that to us. You know why God doesn't do that to us? Because he's so gracious and he's so good and he's so merciful. He's waiting for you to run and to cut out so that you can receive the ball and run for a touchdown. Get somebody saved. Get somebody into the kingdom. Find a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, church. This whole, this whole evangelistic cycle that we've been doing, we're concluding this coming week. We're bringing people to Jesus Christ. These huddles here, they're not just for our emotion and our entertainment or our motivation. They're to get us to think about, prepare us, to equip us. We got to go out there. We got a mission to do. It's about the entire week. That's what Sunday's about. Somebody give them praise. And what, right, right, right. And what we have turned our huddles into is motivational time for me. So that I don't get lost. So that I don't go back into the world. So that the devil doesn't chase me and get me down. So that I can get encouraged again. And I can think about if I'm going to serve God or I'm not going to serve him. What mushy, weak kind of Christianity is that? Hey, listen, our huddles are not about you. They're about the mission. They're not about just bringing a word of encouragement so we won't fall down. They're about the mission. If we're going to get excited about something, let's get excited about living for the glory of God. Somebody say, man, well, I may have said too much there. I may have said too much there. But I'll say this. They should be primarily about the mission. And that doesn't mean that if you come to church discouraged or downcast or sick, that God doesn't have something for you. He does. But we cannot come to church in our Christian huddles thinking the main thing is the huddle. No, the main thing is the touchdown. And the main thing is to win the game. And in this whole story of Christianity, you know what winning the game is? It's to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And you know the best way that we glorify the name of Jesus Christ is by Bringing others into the fold and making more and more people, helping them to become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn their lives around and live for his glory and his honor. That's our victory. So, I'm done. God's mission doesn't change. And our natural tendency doesn't either. So what God is saying is, Get in context. So next Sunday, guys, when we come to church, we're all bringing somebody. Say amen. amen. We're going to try at least to bring somebody. We're going to try to get people. And let me say another thing here. 
that when we bring our friends to church, we're going to pursue the presence of God. And when we get them to the altar to come to church with us, we're going we're gonna to make it our goal to have them connect to the Lord and to his spirit and to his word. Say amen. amen. Let's stand, shall we? A holy huddle is a missional huddle. A holy huddle is a Christ-exalting huddle. Say amen. There's, um, it's not easy to work for the king of kings. It's hard work. And, um, but there's an old song that we used to sing. These kids don't know it, so I don't expect them to sing it. I can't sing. That makes things worse. But there's a chorus that we used to sing that, that went something like this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It's going to be worth it all. When you get to heaven and you see his face, and he looks at you and he says, hey, good job. Hey, more than the approval of your friends, more than the smile on your wife's face, and, and your friends say, man, you're really cool. I really like you. I like hanging out with you. More than that, it's going to be him saying, good job. You know what? Did it right. There's going to be nobody else clapping in heaven. But we're going to walk in and he's going to be like this. He's going to be saying, hey, hey, listen. And it doesn't matter if the masses don't, if nobody else, if there's just silence in heaven. And he's the only one doing this. Man, that's going to. I'm not saying he's going to literally do it. It's going to be much better than that, right? But, but if he were just to do this, as I'm walking into his throne room, man, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It's going to be the best to see him. And this is what Christ is calling our church to, guys. He's calling us to a full commitment to God's mission that has never changed. God is looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. Thank you for the spirit of God. I thank you for this church community. Everything that you have given us in your grace and in your mercy, we're grateful for it truth you've made ignorance fade certainty and things that are eternal as opposed to the uncertainty of fading things all of these things you've given us oh we're so blessed brothers and sisters that love us and a family where we belong and our lives have been enriched. Jesus, as we break our huddle this morning, would you speak to us about your purpose and plan that the world 
should be filled with worshipers. Would you help us to see with greater clarity your overall plan for mankind that men would be saved and that they would sing and rejoice and worship you in the context of that salvation. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' holy name. I'm going to open this altar and I'm going to invite pursuers to come. You're hungry. And you want to pursue God. You want to take a moment and just follow after him until you find him. Would you come forward? Come forward as far as you can so that everyone else can fit here in this place. Just come forward. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you've never given your life to him. Let me tell you this, that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. He paid the price for your sins. And he wants you to be saved. If you will believe in the Lord Jesus with all of your heart and confess that faith with your mouth and surrender your life to him, Jesus will save you. He will give you a new life. I trust you, Lord. Let's just lift up our voices and let's lift up our hearts before the Lord. Let's be worshipers of the living King. While the world worships dead gods that are not gods at all, evil spirits, we worship the only, true, glorious, holy God. And today, Lord, we say, contextualize our lives. Cause us to be found in the very center of your will. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Push. Let's pray until something happens today. Let's push.